Ephesians 5, we're going to begin in verse 25, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We've been going through a series on what is a church member, and today we're going to talk about family leadership and family involvement. Uh, And as you're turning there, finding your place in the Bible, I would encourage you to look at something very specific in your worship guide. Uh, Since we're talking about family today, uh, there is an announcement in there about a family enrichment weekend, which will be the first weekend in November. Now, the last Sunday in October, October 26th, Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock to around 4 o'clock, we're going to have our first ever. Uh, this is, We've never done this before, uh, so right out of the gate it may be a non-Baptist thing because we've never done it before. Y'all all right? Yeah. Okay. And it's going to be a it's going to be a fall festival. We're going to have all sorts of fun things to do for the whole family. We're going to have music. It's going to be absolutely awesome. We hope and we pray as an outreach, not just for Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but this is an opportunity for you to talk to your friends who are unchurched, don't know Jesus. And this is going to be a great place. All the directions, the times are in there for them to come to. And we use this word. A neutral location. You see, for many of your unsafe friends and family, this is not a neutral location. This is enemy territory. A lot of people think, man, when I come to church, the preacher's going to talk about me. People are going to jump on me. They're going to look at me different. All of those things that the enemy puts into a person's mind to keep them away from the preaching of God's word. What we're trying to do is do outreach to our community. So please plan on being there and bringing someone with you. Now, you'll notice this is intentional. The Saturday after that, which is November 1st, we're going to have, and I think it's 5, 5.15, 5.30, it's there in the announcement, over in our fellowship hall. My dad's actually going to be here in town. He's a counselor. Uh, and if you have never grown up with a counselor, uh, you will never understand someone who would say something like, just double my spankings. And spare me the counseling session. You know what I'm saying? Like people, like they're good. God's gifted them for that. To be able to work out the details. But I mean, when I was growing up, it wasn't just the spanking. It was the reason why I was getting the spanking. And the root cause of what I did. And why I did it. And all of those reasons. So here's the thing. We notice at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And you notice in your own homes and families. That the family in America is in trouble. Right? Like you don't have to. You don't have to go to Harvard for that. The family in America is in trouble. And we're not taught, we're not taught, we're not even going to, to the gay marriage issue and, and so forth. We're talking about, we're talking about the family as it is. The family in America is in trouble. And so, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God is powerful. We believe that it has the power through the Spirit of God to come into our hearts and change us into being different people so that when we go home, our home begins to change from a place to where whoever can yell the loudest and pout the longest gets his or her way to a home to where it is permeated and saturated in the love of God. But in order for that to happen, I think there needs to be detailed teaching. So many of y'all know, some of you don't, I am a rare breed, I am an endangered species, I'm a rare, I am a pastor who is single, never been married. Okay, that's me. I would like to be one day if God provides that. But I think that when you're talking about, here's how you raise your kids, maybe I don't need to get into specific, specific, specifics because I've never been there. 
Y'all all right? Some of y'all are just looking scared and I have no reason, I have no idea why this morning. So what we're going to do, the weekend after our first ever Harvest Festival, we're going to have a family enrichment weekend on Saturday evening. And here's the thing. This is for those of you who have kids of any age. This is for those of you who are grandparents, who are involved in the lives of your grandchildren. Saying, you know what, maybe I could learn something. Maybe I can do things differently with my grandkids that I did with my kids. And maybe for some who don't have kids, but you think that that's what the Lord would, you would love for the Lord to provide that. And maybe some of you are just single and you are straight. You are, you could not get more single. And maybe you want to come and just meet another single person. You're like, so how are you going to raise your kids? And boom, it's just like God provides it right there. So we're going to have a meal and then a session of teaching. Come on, y'all work with me. We're going to have a meal on Saturday evening and then a teaching session of about 45 minutes with a Q&A session at the end. Because what we've noticed, and we are so excited about this at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Many of the people, especially the younger you are, that God has brought to Rocky Mount Baptist Church fit into, most of whom fit into one of two categories. Number one, unchurched. Church was not something that your family really ever did. Or de-churched. You remember VBS, but that's about it. And we are so happy that you're here. Amen, church? Let's give the Lord praise. It's awesome. It is so awesome. But here's something that we know as well. Many of us, even if, this may step on toes, but even if you've been raised in church, you may not have ever seen a biblically oriented, a Jesus-filled home. Never. Mom and dad didn't talk. They may, they, they, they maybe brought you to church on Sunday morning, but it never came up. So you have no idea what a, what a Christ first, Christ in everything family looks like. Not only that, there may be some of you and you're like, man, I, I know, I like, I, Jeff, I've read Ephesians 5 about how the husband is supposed to love his wife and wife, wife is supposed to lovingly submit to the husband as the husband follows Christ. Like I read that, but how does that actually work? Like I've never actually seen a Jesus-centered marriage. November 1st, Saturday evening, it's going to be detailed teaching. The next day, Sunday, November 2nd, Charlotte is going to be teaching the kids some songs. So now we're going to have a performance from our children's church entourage. Whoop, whoop. It's going to be awesome. They're going to rock the house. And then the Sunday morning message is going to be about marriage and family. Detailed application from God's word experience that I don't have. All right. And so we just value the family. And so this, we want this to kind of open up the can a little. So if you're looking for absolutely every answer to every marriage and every problem that you can have raising kids, Wait. And it is funny sometimes. Can we just take a moment how sometimes preachers overestimate the power of their sermons? It's like they'll they'll preach a sermon how to raise kids. It's like, bro, if you can do that in 30 minutes, you need to go write yourself a Bible. Right? And so, but what we want to do this morning is open up Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 and lay the, the foundation, the foundation of what a family is to be. Let's begin to read there in verse number, we're going to back to verse number 22, chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians. The Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We okay? You can cut it with a knife, man. Cut it with a knife. Here we go. Here's where it picks up, and nobody likes to talk about this. Verse 25. Husbands, what's it say, church? Love your wife. This is the word agape in the Greek, which is absolutely self-sacrificial love to the point of death. It has little to do with letting her watch the TV program she wants to watch or to hang the drapes that she wants to hang. This is talking about something much deeper than that. It's literally meaning, we'll notice how the text explains, as Christ, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and if we didn't catch it before now, and gave himself up for her. Meaning that husbands should love their wives with a self-sacrificial love. Not only should they be willing to take the bullet, but in the little things of life, be willing to lay down their life and their wants and preferences. Verse 26, that he, speaking of Jesus, might sanctify her, speaking of the church, those who've been saved, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Stop right there. This simply means that once you get saved, Jesus is not finished with you. He's just getting started. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does his church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Simply meaning for the man and the woman, once we a person gets married to another person, man and a woman marry, the umbilical cord should be cut. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Sociologists are telling us today the number one need of women is security that comes through loving affirmation. The number one need for men, most men don't need to be told a hundred times a day, I love you by their wives. But the number one need, this is very interesting, that secular studies are telling us in marriage is the man needs respect. The Bible 2,000 years ago says what we're just now discovering. Amazing. Notice verse number 1 in chapter 6. So those of us who have parents, here we go. Children, what? Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. In the Lord means everything that has to do with Jesus. That means not only should we obey when they ask us to do something, but we should obey with the Spirit of Christ, which is humility. Verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Going back to Deuteronomy. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's the idea. And if you have your worship outline, I'd encourage you to break it out and read it along with me. Here's the main idea what we're going for this morning That number one, and very simply, church begins at home. Church begins at home. Not only that, but God calls us to lead 
our family to be servants. This is for saved people to be servants in the church and not merely consumers. Because we know that the Bible teaches us that serving leads to freedom, whereas consuming leads to disillusionment. We just read a passage about marriage and family. We know how disappointing it is when people let us down, don't we? The reason why some people let us down is because we place obligations and expectations on them that God never meant for us to have on another person. And when things are not well at home, we come to church angry and upset, don't we? This is not talking about like when you, you know, you're coming to church and the kids are not getting ready and you're just like, get in the car, let's go to church and worship Jesus. Like, like not even, not even that, not even that. But I'm talking about where just the general, the general aroma of the home is ticked off. It's like if you could go and you could smell emotions, it would just be like, there's anger here. There is bitterness and resentment. And what happens in church life is when we don't have church at home, we don't pray to Jesus as a family, we don't study his word, then everything's jacked up because at home, it's not what God says it can be. And then we come to church and then we're disappointed by the expectations that we place on people at church. And... In your outline, we have this pattern of consumer-driven church involvement. There's five stages to it. If you've been involved in church for any amount of time, just be amazed at how this resonates by what some of us have experienced. This comes from Tom Rayner. Number one, we get excited about the church. Woohoo! New pastor, new worship center, new type of music, new something, new ministry. And it's like it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting. So we get excited about church. Then we get more involved in church. We're like, dude, this is, this is straight up awesome. Like this is, this is punch somebody in the throat awesome. Like this is just so good. I can't, I can't wait to be involved. So we get involved. And then once we're involved, then number three, we do what church? We discover the imperfections of the church like once we go from sitting in the pew on sunday morning to getting involved in serving we're like whoa i thought these people were better than this and in fact some of these people actually remind me of people at my old church that may be because there's sinners in every church just maybe and just a point here that 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 we noted in our, in our membership class this morning, you realize that, that these letters that we call Ephesians, if you've ever flipped through your New Testament, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, most of the New Testament letters were written to specific churches to say, get your act together. Seriously, like when you read it, Paul's calling people out by name. Imagine if that were us. It was like Rocky Mount Baptist Situs Church in the first century. And and, and we get this letter from the Apostle Paul. And he's like, you know what? So-and-so, you're doing a great job with the children's ministry. But Pastor Jeff, you you need to shape up. And like somebody's reading that from the whole church and you're like, crickets. We don't do that today. But something helpful for us to understand is that when we get excited about church and then we get involved in church and then we begin to discover the imperfections of those in the church, we're actually uncovering what is probably a biblical church. Because if you can't ever find anything wrong, anything that needs to be improved, you may just be in a church that's able to hide it really well. 
And we call that being fake. And none of us has time for it. So then sometimes when we get involved in the church and we see the imperfections of the church, then we begin to get discouraged about the church because we place expectations that only Jesus can handle. Only Jesus can squat that weight. We place it on mortal, fallible human beings. And then finally, what happens? We leave the church. Right here, we need to ask the question, For if you're a church hopper, we're not talking about if you seek God through fasting and prayer as to where he would have you serve. But if you're a church hopper and shopper, I want to ask you this question. How many churches have not, quote, worked out for you and your family? Usually it's a lot. And it's always that church's fault. Could it be that at least in part, the fault of why it didn't work out is what looks at us in the mirror? We okay? You say, well, Jeff, what about a dead church? The church I I used to be a part of is dead. I don't think you should sacrifice your family for a dead church. I don't. Now, if God sovereignly, clearly tells you to stay, because he says, I have a greater plan for this church, I'm going to revive it, you stay. But if God has not told you that, for the sake of your family, be involved in a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church. And then I've never experienced this in any other state that I've lived in, but Virginia is absolutely filled with churches that would call themselves liberal. Liberal has nothing to do with Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, but it has to do with not believing that the Bible is the Bible. We've had a number of people come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church since I've been here, and I haven't even been here that long, who come from a liberal church. And often the discussion goes along these lines to say, well, I've been a part of that church for so long. I kind of feel like I'm leaving them out to dry. Listen, if you come from a liberal church and you love Jesus and you believe the Bible, you've not left that church. They've left you. Your faith is centered upon the deity of Jesus Christ and the infallibility of the word of God. And that's where you stand and that's where you will live and feed your family. It's the denomination that has left you. So what, what's happening here and what's, what has continued to happen since political correctness has crept into the church, we're seeing a slow exodus from many quote-unquote past Christian groups because they are now compromising on the word of God. But I want to encourage you, if you come from a liberal church and you're seeking to where God would have you to plug in, God bless you for not allowing your family to stay under teaching and to give money to a group that denies the power of the Bible. Is that clear? Praise God for your willingness to do what is right. And once again, if your church or your denomination that you come from has left the Bible, you are not leaving that church. They have left what the church is all about. So you say, now Jeff, you say that church should begin at home. So you're saying that if church begins at home, then it can counteract this getting involved with the church, seeing the problems of the church, and then growing disillusioned and finally leaving the church. Absolutely. Regardless if we are married, divorced, single, widowed, we have a place in the family of God. But regardless of our actual physical family, we're going to look at several truths from the Bible that we just read on how church can begin at home. And this is going to be so exciting building up to the first weekend in November. Number one, church begins at home because, notice verse 25, the family should be a microcosm of the church. Notice verse number 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved 
the church. So we know that Christ loved the church by laying down his life. It means that spiritual leadership, guys, in the home begins with us. And you say, well, Jeff, I'm a single mom. My, my husband has skipped out on me. He's not in the picture. Praise God for our single moms who are, listen, involved in a Bible preaching, Bible believing church to where there are godly men who love Jesus that their sons can rub shoulders with. Praise God for that. And praise God for the single moms who bring their daughters to Rocky Mount Baptist Church to where they can interact with godly women who love Jesus. So the mom doesn't think that she's all alone. But for those of of us who are in a family and the guy is still there, notice guys, it says not only should we lay down our lives for our wives, but we should tenderly care for, in verses 28 through 30, notice where it says that they should cherish, in verse number 28, cherish. That means nourish. It means do everything that builds up the wife. I know some are raised in homes to where the form of love and affection is cut downs. Ever been around people like that? Give you guys a, I mean, this is an amazing statistic. Um, Zero percent of marriages are helped by a consistent attitude of cut downs. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. Now, what it can get is a cheap laugh. At the expense of your husband or wife and a group of other people. And they may laugh, but inside the heart, all is not well. When the Bible, gentlemen, says that we should cherish and love and care for, it means to look for every way to pump spiritual vitamins into the soul of your wife. It means to look for every way that you can affirm her. So if it comes to the point, husband to wife, wife to husband, to where you have to say, look, honey, you're wrong. It means that there has been so much edification, so much that has already been built up. They will be open to that criticism as opposed to close. So if you're in a marriage relationship and the way that you operate when you're around other people is you cut down your spouse, according to what the Bible is saying here, stop. Nobody needs it, and it's not really that funny. Husbands, not only in verses 31 through 33, should tenderly care for, lay down their wives for their wives, but they should be committed as to their wives as Christ is to the church. Oh my goodness, Christ was committed to the point of death. And so the Bible says in verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife See that she respects her husband. There's many examples of godly marriages in the Bible. In fact, if you want to go read the little book of Ruth, ladies, that is biblical warrant to say you don't need to pursue a godly man, but it's totally okay to throw out a hint that you are open. Have y'all never read Ruth? Come on, like these, he's the man, like Boaz is an awesome guy and she's this widow and they're in poverty and he's making sure that she's not taken advantage of. And then she goes into uh, the area where they're threshing the wheat and it's a Hebrew custom truth. She, she, she uncovered his feet, which is basically a way of saying, what's up? She wasn't an immoral woman. She didn't do anything that was not biblical, but she was just saying, If you're interested, holla. (laughs) 
Because what we find so often is, is young Christian women, it seems to be there's a lot more of those than there's the guys. They're like, oh, like I, I want to be married. I want to serve Jesus. I want to have Ephesians 5 as a part of my life. But when I look around all these guys, like there's guys that are hooked on, like they're all hooked on porn and then they're just clubbing on the weekends. And then this guy, like he's, he's 38 and he's still living in his mom's basement playing Halo with 12 year olds from England. Like where, where can I find an actual man? Not just a male. If you're single, or listen, if you're single, if you're single again, um, and I'm single, I've never been married, so this is one of those to where it's like I feel your pain. Um, in all seriousness, seriously, there are things that are far worse, far worse than being single. Far worse. Being in an abusive relationship, going through the pain of divorce, separation, Oh, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on and on. So if you are single and God has placed a desire in your heart to be married, definitely hang out with other people. It's amazing. I have some guy friends. I'm like, bro, you could not be more single. Like you are the poster man for singleness. He's like, yeah, I, I just, I just don't, I just get nervous around people. I'm like, be around people. This is like dating advice, Fred. What am I being, right? Like, it's just, it's amazing how sometimes we say, God, provide, provide, provide. We just hole up in a basement somewhere. Get out and meet people for the glory of God. And maybe God will provide your spouse through that. Or on November 1st at the children's conference here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Esther and Xerxes, another example of a really strange relationship. Here's Esther forcibly in a marriage relationship with this tyrant. If you've seen the movie 300, shame on you. You'll know that Xerxes is an absolute total tyrant. Like that's her, that, that, that's the type of guy that she was forcibly married to. But yet even in that type of strange, twisted relationship to where she didn't have a choice. He's like, I see you. I want you. You're my wife. It was in that scenario where we see, listen, the impact of a godly woman's integrity on an angry and unbelieving husband. Even in the Old Testament with some of these kings that were horrifically wicked, when God places godly women there, they make a difference. Now, what we just read in the Bible, for wives to respect their own husbands, for husbands to love their wives, this would have caused your first century Greek or Roman to be like, what on earth has Paul been smoking? I mean, in the part about, what what is this? Fathers, verse 4, chapter 6, do not provoke your children to anger. You see, in the Roman world, a child was not a child unless the husband recognized the child. So that means, ladies, if you gave birth to son or daughter and it was premature or, 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 or or somehow it's like a special or crippled in some way, if the husband said, that's not my child, it would be exposed. It would be just be brought into a wilderness left to die. It was a horrific culture, but this is Paul through the Holy Spirit instituting what we call civilization within an empire such as Rome. F.F. Bruce, the great New Testament scholar, says this, By setting the highest of standards for the husband's treatment of his wife, Paul goes to the limit of safeguarding the wife's dignity and welfare. For the love of Christ is a self-giving love. He gave himself up for the church, and the natural inference is that there is no sacrifice, not even the sacrifice of his life, which a husband should not be prepared to make if necessary for his wife. 
People often like to read verse number 22 and just leave it at that. Jerk it out of context, mangle it, say, wives. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. And they think that that means that women are a doormat for abuse. That is not what the text says. It is within the context that you ladies are like, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to my husband, but like he's actually coming to church with me now. It's, 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 it's like things are changing and he's, he actually, like he, I saw him reading the Bible the other day. What's, what's happening? What's happening, ladies? That's the greatest thing that ever happened to your marriage. Ever. I mean, realize that a guy who loves Jesus is going to love you. Push him. Encourage him. Don't nag him. No man has ever come to Jesus because of nagging. That was just like a, that wasn't even a laugh. That was like a, a grumble. But praise God for God opening up the hearts of men. It's so awesome, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. You got men and they're wanting to study God's word. Get plugged in. I love you guys. It's awesome. So ladies, when that happens, do everything that you can to support that, just to encourage that. And guys are a lot like dogs. Respect. No joke. Like your husband, he spends several hours working on a vehicle. He gets something fixed. Wow. That's all you have to do. Yeah, fix that. <laughs> you know? Like, he, go, he goes hunting. You're like, I wish you would have seen. He goes hunting. He brings back something. You know? And you're just like, oh, my word. You, that's awesome. If everything hit the fan, I would be, would be snuggled and snowed in right next to you. Because you can bring home the bacon or the venison. And then he comes home without anything say, you're so merciful. You let all those deer live, didn't you? Right? <laughs> like it, what I'm saying, to ladies, is that guys are not really that complex. There's, there's a few. There's a few. And we don't understand them either. But there's, for the most part, guys, if you give encouragement, if you give encouragement, and even when they come home from a day's work, saying, I'm so proud of you working that job. I know it's not the job or the hours that you would like, but your diligence, I mean, look for character qualities there. Your diligence and how you're just pressing. I mean, you, your hands are raw or you're losing your eyesight because you got a, a day, a job where you're looking at a computer all day long. All of those things, when you show appreciation, it lets a man know that you respect him. And that is what even secular sociologists are telling us that men need in a marriage and the word of god said it far before that so children how should church work in a home children this is so clear cut by the way don't don't you don't you love the word of god doesn't sometimes it irritate you nobody wants to be like amen Come on. Like you look at that. It says, like, check this out. Every single one of us and our parents are still living. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. It does not say children pull a Malcolm in the middle on your parents for this is okay. And we're, we're not, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, we're not about heels, hose, and television. But I will say that if you are a TV watcher on what is called ABC Family, really? Wow. You know, and these, these, these networks, they have family shows. You're like, that's family? Like, can you do that? As a follower of Christ, I challenge you, I encourage you to take a step back from that and look at how being a smart mouth, we could call it other things, but a smart mouth, a smart aleck is applauded. Like, wow, you can be the smartest, smart aleck person in the whole show to parents, to teachers, 
And that's what people do. But take a step back and look at the American family that's filled with that. The American family right now is an absolute freak on the scale of historical families. You take somebody a hundred years ago, they'd be like, you, what? That happens? A thousand years ago, men and women would be like, that, there's no, there's no way. But children today, because they ingest this and because they're not exposed to the word of God, will time and time again replicate what they see and hear on television. And parents are like, well, I'm letting them watch ABC Family, but why are they such a smart mouth all the time? I wonder. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see, the media glorifies being a smart mouth to authority, but the word of God glorifies and blesses humility and obedience. Take a step back. Take Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Students, regardless if we have parents that are up in years, and say, is this something that's teaching me to honor Christ, or is it teaching me to plant seeds of destruction in my home? And here's the thing. The reason why some of us watch those shows, it's because it's just a little bit worse than our family. And we can be like, everybody loves Raymond. What an idiot, right? I'm not that stupid. And we can watch those things. We can watch those shows. And guess who's always the biggest idiot? The dad. Every single time. Why is that? We're not into conspiracy theories here, but we know that this worldly system outside of Christ is dead set against the word of God. And we know that the spiritual leadership, the loving, self-sacrificial leadership, guys, if Satan can get to us, our family doesn't have much hope. So if you can destroy confidence in the dad and the male, then you pretty much have the battle won. Because then mom feels that she has to compensate and the boys grow up in a home truly they don't even know what it means to be a dude. Because dad's not there or if he is, he's emotionally absent. But praise God for Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as they lead in self-sacrifice. And husbands, <laughs> the load is on us. And then children in that, we obey our parents. Why? Because it's right. And because, listen, if we're a student at any age and we begin to smart mouth, back talk, disobey parents, it is teaching ourselves how to disobey God because parents are placed there by God so that we don't die at an early age. One of the reasons that why God put parents in our lives is because they know more than we do. Even if you're 16, they know more than you do. You say, okay, Jeff, all right, all right. Well, what about... You're talking about the Bible. What about my parents? Like my dad does not give a care about church. My mom, she's just, she's verbally abusive. They don't care about the gospel. They're not Christians. What do I do in that situation? It may be that God and his sovereignty has placed you in a dysfunctional home so that you could understand even more the grace of God. Even more the grace of God to say, you know what? When my dad doesn't seem to care, God cares. When my mom comes home and she's screaming at dad, When she's using all sorts of language that's not okay in any setting, God's not like that. He speaks words of healing and grace. We're almost out of time, but there's a couple things we gotta knock out here in verse chapter, verse four and chapter six, when it says, this is so key. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It means that parental demands should not be excessive. 
It means that when fathers, guys, it's so important, and we know what this feels like. When we get affirmation from our father, it means the world. When the father calls us stupid, dumb, lame, uses cut downs as some way to make us tough, it always has the opposite effect. For some men, it turns them to being effeminate. Some men, it turns them to being angry to where they cannot even have a friendship because they're too afraid to open up. And many times in a marriage relationship, because of the father's words or lack thereof, men have a difficulty expressing what they actually feel because they understand what it means to be hurt and crushed. F.F. Bruce says this again. He says it's possible even for Christian parents to be so unreasonable in their demands that their children are irritated beyond measure and wonder whether it does any good to try and please their parents and do what they say. This is what will be covered here in a month from now. But as parents, you've all gone through the discussion like how... And there's some parents, they just don't care. They're like, when you come home on Friday, Saturday night, don't wake me up. May God have mercy on you. May God have mercy on you. God has entrusted that child to raise them in the nurture and admission of, of the Lord. But here's the thing. See, how much is too much? There can be the tendency towards legalism to where the child is placed a burden. The burden is placed on the child to where they can never think that they can do enough. And then on the other hand, it's a tendency towards leniency. Like some parents um, even will say, well, I don't want you smoking weed with your friends. If you want to do it, just do it here um, on the porch. May God have mercy uh, on you. Bible saying that when you when you raise the children, do everything that you can do to build them up, and it is something that all of us know we can remember when we were children. The things that our mother or father said to us, some built us up, some made us feel like we were so important, and some absolutely were devastating. So, especially for men, guys, for for the kids that God provides for us, let's not verbally cut them down. Let's not use negativity to motivate them. Let's not use fear-based parenting tactics. Let's never use humiliation as a way of trying to make our boys tougher. Not use ridicule. In fact, they're even in the Bible, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a man of the house. Jacob was a rugged, wild mountain man. Or Esau was a rugged, wild mountain man. And sometimes what can happen is God gives two different types of boys to the same family. And dad is Rambo and he doesn't understand that he has a Jacob. They should be treated differently than Esau. Say, so Jeff, how, how could we put this into practice? Well, number one, pray together as a family. Pray together every day. If you're in a marriage relationship or in a dating relationship, pray together. Worship together as a family. Have a, have a time to where you actually worship God. It could be a time to where you say, let's just talk around the dinner table things that we're happy, that we're thankful that God did for us today. And therefore, it points to God. Some of you know that I am in a dating relationship and uh, we've actually... We're trying to, you know, just do what glorifies the Lord. And we've been through several books together. And we even, we worked through, uh, let's see, Colossians and James, just verse by verse on Tuesday night. We have a phone date to make sure that we get it in. Because if you like somebody and you're attracted to them, whether it's dating or marriage relationship, all the conversations can turn into is, what's up? 
And it's never anything about the Lord. So to try to make that um, a priority in our lives. And it's so amazing that when you, just as a couple, when you begin to study the Bible. I mean, you don't even have to go into Greek. You just read it and say, what did the Lord teach you from Colossians chapter 2 today? And then you talk about that. And that's when you really get to know somebody on the deepest level. Because our hearts at the deepest level yearn for God. So this has never been a, 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 a part of your family life. I encourage you, talk about it when you go home with your family. Just say, let's start to pray together as a family and let's start to worship together as a family. And in doing that, you will lead your family to serve one another so that when they come to church, it will be serving God's family. Phil Jackson, the coach of the uh, Chicago Bulls for years said, Quote, good teams become great ones when the members trust each other enough to surrender the me for the we. And many of the fights in church life and home life and in relationships usually come down to the fact that I want to be right. In this response, in this invitation where the band's going to come up and just sing a quiet song called Simplicity. Let's just seek the Lord. And if there is something, if there's pride, if there are values that are shifted in our relationship that's not honoring Christ, let's use this response time this morning to ask Him to correct what the world has thrown off.